Hey, everybody, if you want to tell the world something or sell the world something, head on over to Squarespace because they're going to help you build the website of your dreams. Say you want to sell some custom merch. Well, you can set up your online store, whether you sell physical, digital, or service products. Squarespace has the tools you need to start selling online. So go to squarespace.com stuff right now and you will face a free trial. And when you get ready to launch, use our offer code stuff and then you'll save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. How could you go wrong with Squarespace? Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life, immerse myself in natural beauty, and have unique experiences. But you don't have to leave the U.S. to experience tropical rainforests and islands filled with adventure, warm culture, and national treasures. Visit Puerto Rico, an island with a vibrant spirit that will sweep you away. Because when you visit, you don't become part of the island, it becomes part of you. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. Puerto Rico, where visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark, and there's Charles W., Chuck Bryant, and Jerry's here, and this is Stuff You Should Know, the Triple Alliance coming at you, but not overstepping our bounds, being very oh, delicate no. here. Correct. Because that's yes, how you do it. Yes, the Triple Alliance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that was actually the, the, the proper name for the Aztecs. Oh, yeah? Mm-hmm. Did All right. Did you know that? No, but I like that, you know, hopefully this episode is coming out and we're getting some some guest listeners who are like, what is this NATO thing all about? Ooh, who are these dum-dums? They can explain it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I like I like you lobbing out in a, a little factoid for everyone. Oh, yeah. Well, that's how we do. We tread lightly. We don't overstep our bounds. And we lob out factoids. So welcome. This is Stuff You Should Know. My name is Chuck, and I'm the co-host along with Josh Clark. Yeah, hi. And we explain things in a semi-humorous way over the course of, you know, a lot of podcasts do this every episode. They explain what their mission I would, is. I would go berserk, man. I would have giant patches in my head <laughs> of where I've just pulled hair clean out. Uh, but we like to explain things in, a, in an approachable way to the common person. Uh, that is to say, that is what we are. We don't have lofty goals. There you go. Wow, did you write that one down? That was amazing. <laughs> Yeah, we should do this every time and just let me wing it every time. <laughs> okay. I think we just came up with a new format in 22. <laughs> Woohoo! So, Chuck, we're talking about NATO. And if you didn't know, if you didn't know, we're in trouble. But if you, the listener, especially the new ones, uh, didn't know, NATO stands for the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, mm-hmm. which is the kind of name that you can make your eyes glaze over with just one pass. It's that boring <laughs> sounding, right? Yeah, but it's a pretty, I mean, I don't know, maybe this is an opinion of my own, but I think it's pretty fundamentally uh, integral body to Mm -hmm. the world order. I mean, it's certainly proved itself as such. Uh, And, you know, we're Americans, we're 
we're, we were kind of raised to think like NATO's fine and great and it's a good thing. Don't even, don't even bother thinking about it unless we need you to. And if so, we'll alert you through the media and then you can start thinking about it. Um, but if you dig into it a little bit and you actually like look at the stuff that it does, the stuff that it has done, the reasons it was founded and the reasons it's operating now, it actually does make a tremendous amount of sense if you're a fan of democracy. You know, sure. even if you're not a fan of military operations, which I I mean, like, I'm not. I would rather everything just be at peace. It would be great if we could do everything through diplomacy, right? Sure. Um, but so even if you're not like, yeah, we got to go get them. Let's just get over there and shoot everybody. Um, <laughs> you could still be like a, a, a supporter of NATO just because of the, the stability it does provide, like you were saying, or has provided all this time. I, I, and yeah, I mean, in recent stuff with Ukraine and Russia has definitely made me rethink it in a more positive light and that it's more essential than I thought it was. Yeah. And we'll get into that, obviously, along the way in this episode and sort of explain what's going on in some detail. But uh, I also just uh, the idea that NATO is outdated and of a bygone era and mm -hmm. not useful and a waste of money mm -hmm. is, I think, um, Folly, and uh, we're not going to go down that road too much. We're just going to probably explain how it works and hopefully through that display why it's still necessary. The thing is, Chuck, is that particular opinion of NATO wasn't necessarily wrong a year ago, two years ago, five years ago. And it's not like you and I just woke up to the importance of NATO. Right. Literally, the world has changed in the last two months yeah. since Russia invaded Ukraine. And NATO, which was struggling to find its way, its purpose up until about 2014, when the last time Russia invaded Ukraine, um, suddenly became like important and, and had a reason to exist again. So things have changed that dramatically, that a 30-nation allegiance, an organization that had been kind of like, what are, what are you guys doing again? What's the point of all this? Was now one of the most important organizations in the entire world again. Well, yeah, and I think there's a lesson in uh, complacency there. Uh, mm -hmm. It's like if you had this old panic room installed in your house in the 70s. Yeah. And, and you know, here in 2022, you're like, you know what? This panic room, I'm, I think I'm just going to turn it into a, a bingo hall. It's getting kind of useless. And then all of a sudden, the purge happens. Right. And you remember why you needed that panic room. Yeah. So the purge happened to Ukraine in February of this year. But the purge was always just sitting out there, possibly could happen. And I guess that's the complacency I'm talking about. I think no one thought anything like, oh, everything's like – Everything's fine these days. Like, Europe's not going to be at war. We don't need right. this stuff. Yeah. And then, uh, but that possibility was always out there. And I think just the mere, and this isn't me, this is, you know, highly respected people say that just the mere mention of exiting NATO and dissolving NATO emboldened people like Putin. Yes. So, um, what sucks is, like, the idea that, that we're living in a world where NATO is essential, where mm. that the purge is kind of always out there. Um, it, it didn't necessarily be that way. And if, if, you, if you're uncomfortable living in that, that kind of reality, if you're, if you're like, this reality actually sucks, that the purge is out there and we have to have NATO now, and we have to spend all this extra money on defense and all this stuff, and, you know, peace seems to be, you know, up in arms and, and in question again— Blame the people who invade other countries. Don't blame the people who have allied 
to fight against that kind of thing in the name of democracy. Well said, sir. Should we go back to the beginning? Yeah, let's talk about the history of NATO, because it's a fairly um, young organization, comparatively speaking. Like, if you compare it to, you know, systems of writing, it's very young. (laughs) That's true. Mm -hmm. Or the sun. Sure. Very, very young. Uh Uh-huh. So let's go back in time. I guess we should jump in the old Wayback Machine. Crank it up. It's been a while. You're showing off for the new people, huh? I know. We have a Wayback Machine, and we can go back in time. So take that. Uh, April 4th, 1949 is when the North Atlantic Treaty was signed initially by the original, uh, the OGs, the 12 founding member countries, which were uh, ourselves here in the United States, Canada, our Mm -hmm. hat to the north. Hey, wait Uh, a minute. I like that you're adding a little bit to each one, (laughs) but can you sing it as a song? (laughs) No, I can't. Okay. Shoot, I just did. Did you hear that? I did. Uh, where else? Uh, the United Kingdom, our friends across the pond. Mm-hmm. Uh, France, those folks who make such good gravies. Mm-hmm. Uh, Italy, which is all about those pillowy, uh, beautiful, what are they called? Croissants? No. Well, sure. But I was no. thinking of the pasta that's uh, the gnocchi. Oh, yeah. That's not pillowy. It's dense. It's dense as night. I like a, pi- I like a, pillow, a pillowy gnocchi. I don't think that's gnocchi. I think that's like um No, a pillowy gnocchi's delicious. You've been Yeah, having, but it's your, d- your gnocchi's too dense. Isn't gnocchi stuffed with something though? No, key. Oh, I'm thinking of pierogies. <laughs> uh Portugal, delicious wines. Sure. Uh Norway, I just I hear they bike a lot over there. Denmark, <laughs> they bike even more. Uh Iceland is not Greenland. People get those confused. Mm-hmm. Uh Belgium, I've been there. And that's where uh, NATO is headquartered. We'll get to that. Uh, The Netherlands, they are uh, largely below sea level. And then Luxembourg, I flew out of there once. It's very small. It is extremely small. And I've been to Belgium too, by the way. Uh, Yeah, Belgium's nice. And then you got Greece and Turkey in 52, West Germany in 55, Spain in 82. And then in 1991, when the Soviet Union collapsed, it was like a free-for-all of people and countries going, oh, me, 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 over the next 18 years. Yeah, and NATO was saying, yes, come, be friends, come become democracies. This is great for us. Um, and that was, and we'll talk about it, kind of considered, um, there's a guy named James Stavridis. He was the supreme allied commander of NATO from 2009 to 2013. Um, and he uh, put it as, that, that was kind of the beginning of NATO 2.0. But NATO 1.0, the original mission of NATO, was very clear. It was very purposeful. It was very complicated in execution, and it required tons of money, especially considering there were only 12 to 16 members from 1949 to 1982, right? And the, the mission was contain the Soviet Union, because yeah. after World War II, Europe was just toe up from the flow up, it was and it yeah. was up for grabs. And one of the first things the Soviet Union did was start pouring all of its economy into its military yeah. and saying, okay, you're part of the Soviet Union now. You're part of the Soviet Union now. You're part of the Soviet Union now. And they drew what every 80s kid um, knew was a line between Europe and the Eastern Bloc called the Iron Curtain. That's right. And you did not penetrate the Iron Curtain. The Iron Curtain penetrated you. <laughs> All right, Yakov Shmirnov. <laughs> Thank you. I'm glad you got that. Uh, 
that is true. And the, um, the the one of the biggest parts of NATO that's uh, sort of one of the most fundamental parts of it is Article 5, which we won't read in full. You, you should go look it up online, though, and read it. But it basically But we says, could sing it. <laughs> it basically says, you know what? These are all like NATO isn't a military force. It is a bunch of countries and their military forces. And it's really up to each member to decide what they want to do when it comes to supporting an ally. Like you don't have to use military force. Uh, You can though under international law, but you basically, it's up to each country. It's It's a weird organization in that they don't vote on things. It's all just sort of hammered out as a consensus. Mm-hmm. Uh, including who the NATO Secretary General is, they don't even vote on that. They just sort of agree to who's going to take that role, and um, which will you know we'll get to what they do later. But it is I did find it fascinating that they don't you know they don't sit down. I mean, how many countries are there now? Thirty. Thirty. They don't sit down and have a, a thirty country vote when it comes to anything. They just they just work it out. That means sometimes some countries are going to get more of what they want, and some. Times are going to have to acquiesce and get less. Yeah, which I find kind of neat. But overall, most of the countries are in favor of doing whatever NATO's doing. Or they're opposed to it and NATO doesn't do something. Right. So that Article 5, the basis of it, is what's called collective defense. And the main tenet of this, and this is the thing that probably binds more than anything else, the 30 countries that are members of NATO— is that if you attack one NATO country, you are effectively attacking all 30 NATO countries. Yeah. That's why they don't get attacked. Right. Those 30 NATO countries will bring their substantial, significant military might onto you, the attacker who attacked that one country. That's ultimately the main and original purpose of NATO. Because when when NATO was formed and Russia was consolidating its military— Europe was not—the countries of Europe were in no shape to defend themselves. So they entered into this pact with the United States and Canada who said, we'll come over and help you guys. And by the way, Soviet Union, I hope you're listening. If you attack any of these guys, if you try to expand beyond that Iron Curtain, we're coming in. Like, it's an attack on us. That was the the basis of NATO, and it's been upheld ever since. Although it's only been invoked once in the history um, since 1949. Yeah, and not only does that mean that these countries aren't getting attacked, which has been pretty ironclad, Mm -hmm. it means that other countries, like obviously in 1991, like I said, with the fall of the Soviet Union, over the next 18 years are scrambling to be a part of it uh, because a lot of these are smaller countries who no way could they stand up to a superpower like Russia. Right. Uh, so they were they they want to be in NATO, uh, and we'll talk about Ukraine and their uh, you know whether or not their desire was to be a part of NATO and where that kind of lies now with the current situation. But the point is, these countries like Slovenia and Albania and Croatia and Montenegro, like they want to be a part of NATO because they need friends. Well, they yeah, they do need friends because yeah, if if there was Russian aggression against them, they would just completely they would have no no choice. They I don't even think they could fight back in the way that Ukraine did. Some of these countries are so small no way. and have such small militaries. So yeah, so right now as it stands, as far as Article Five is concerned, if any country attacks North Macedonia to the United States military, it is attacking the United States. That's, that's just right. part of the NATO treaty, right? And and there's that's a 
a point of contention from what I saw, Chuck, that that some people are like, okay, are we really going to send our troops over to, like, die in North Macedonia if Russia attacks it? And as far as our Article 5 is concerned, yeah, you would. Like, you would do that. Like, that's part of the treaty. Like, they are a NATO member nation. And to some people, it doesn't make sense that you would sacrifice, you know, blood and treasure, as they say, in North Macedonia. To other people, it's it's exactly sensible because— if North Macedonia is a NATO country, you can put whatever missiles you want in North Macedonia. They're a NATO country. And so they're strategically located, and their strategic location makes them extraordinarily valuable as a NATO member. So it makes sense in some ways. It doesn't make sense in other ways. But overall, the the, the general idea is that the, the more NATO countries you have in Europe, the stronger the whole thing is, even including the little countries. Everybody has a role to play. Well, yeah, and not only that, you know, the little countries, uh, if you might think it's not worth expending all this kind of money to help and, you know, maybe American soldiers' lives to protect them, the, the dominoes can fall very quickly uh, when you have somebody like Putin in power. And um, the, the world wants most of the world wants peace. And that can very easily be very tenuous if these little smaller countries start falling like dominoes and all of a sudden you look up and the world map is being redrawn. Right, exactly. So that's exactly what they're trying to prevent by ha- by stringing together this cohesive group of NATO countries, right? Um, on the other hand, if you are in Russia and you're uh, in the Russian military or say you're the head of Russia, When you see all these little countries that are along your border now suddenly saying we're a democracy and we're now NATO members and we can put missiles aimed at you like right along your border, that's a a huge menace to you. And um, that in some ways explains the aggression that Putin carried out in Ukraine among some observers. That's not, that hasn't been as, is necessarily the stated goal of the invasion of Ukraine, but a lot of Russian experts say this this actually is is a huge response to NATO. He doesn't want to bring Ukraine into the Russian Federation necessarily. Right. Uh, I remember when this started a few weeks ago. Um, Emily, who was my wife, if you're new to the show, <laughs> she gets mentioned occasionally. Uh, Josh has a wife named Yumi. She gets yeah. mentioned occasionally. Hey, Yumi. We also have pets. I have a daughter. They might pop up as well, but I doubt it. My pet is my daughter. <laughs> and they, uh, Emily was just like, why, what is, you know, she didn't really understand what was going on at first. She said, what does Russia want with Ukraine? Mm-hmm. And I just very simply, because it's more complex than that, but I was basically like, it's like the oldest, the oldest reason in world history. It's land. And it's a big chunk of land. And where it sits next to Russia strategically is like, it, it's troublesome for them to have uh, NATO interests there, and it's troublesome for NATO to have Russian interests there. So, it's it, you know, it's funny. Like, when you look back – or not funny, it's sad. But when you look back at, like, there are many reasons for war, but, like, one of the biggest ones has always just been land acquisition and holdings. Yeah, totally. And usually along your border, and you just expand. Yeah. I mean, it was like expanding the empire before for like resources and stuff, and I think that still clearly goes on. But it also, in this case, is like wanting a buffer between NATO and Russia on the one hand. Right. Should we take a break? 
Yeah, let's take a break. So we'll be right back and we'll talk a little bit about uh, some of the mess that NATO 2.0 was in, which led us to NATO 3.0. Stuff you should know. All right, game off. Let's pause here to talk more about Monopoly Go. Because in Monopoly Go, you can team up with your friends for timed tournaments where you work together to build up each other's boards. It's very nice. That's right. And the more you win together, the more awesome prizes you unlock. And there's so much to get. I'm talking about unique stickers that you can trade with friends to complete albums for big prizes, cool new playing pieces to travel the boards with, or hilarious emojis for taunting friends when you smash their buildings or heist their vaults. Plus, Monopoly Go feels new and exciting every day with constantly changing tournaments and challenges, like digging for treasure or a robot pachinko machine. And there's always new timed events that help you win big, like massive multipliers for everything you win or rent frenzies. That's right. There's always something fun to discover in Monopoly Go. So get off the bench and go download it now for free on Google Play or the App Store. Game on! Today's episode is brought to you by Altoids because, let's face it, unraveling the mysteries of the universe is tough work. But with Altoids, your breath will be stronger than a black hole's gravitational pull, more intense than an alien abduction, and more reliable than your phone's battery during a podcast marathon. When it comes to needing intense freshness, Altoids have you covered. Altoids are stronger than your favorite conspiracy theory, more intense than the latest true crime docuseries, and more reliable than a Bigfoot sighting. They're not just mints, they're curiously strong mints. Find Altoids in the checkout aisle. Grab your tin today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Hey, everybody. It's time you heard about Squarespace. Squarespace has the tools you need to create and sell your own website. Whether it's an online course or custom merch, Squarespace has you covered. That's right. Courses is a great program. You can start with a professional layout that fits your brand, upload video lessons to teach techniques and skills, and tailor your course with a powerful Fluid Engine editor. That's right. With Fluid Engine, which is a next-generation website design system, by the way, it's never been easier for anyone to unlock unbreakable creativity. That's right. And don't forget the commerce side, because after that, you can charge a one-time fee, or you can even sell a subscription. Yeah. So turn your creativity into income with Squarespace courses. And right now, go to squarespace.com slash stuff for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code STUFF to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Squarespace. Learning stuff with Joshua and Charles. Stuff you should. 
Okay, so we're back, and um, we're talking about what, again, Supreme Allied Commander James Stavridis called, and I think Time Magazine, like two, 2018, NATO 2.0. And NATO 2.0 came about because the whole purpose of NATO, which was to contain the Soviet Union out of Europe, um, became pointless because there was no Soviet Union anymore. After 1991, I believe, the USSR broke up, right? And on the one hand, when it first happened, Chuck, it was like you were saying, like all of these these former Russian satellite states started scrambling to become part of NATO, and NATO was welcoming them with open arms. Um, and that that first part of that NATO 2.0, that second general point of NATO, made a lot of sense, and it was consolidating Europe into an even more peaceful, more democratic. Uh, area. But then after that kind of stabilized and they got their that process under underway, um, it started to kind of like lose its point or its purpose a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I think post-Cold War, uh, the complacency set in and people did start to think like, what are we doing? And NATO 2.0 said, well, you know what, we can, uh, we can engage in counterterrorism uh, campaigns. Uh, we don't like the piracy that's going around the world, so we can help to combat that. Uh, and we can get involved in these other uh, – in combating these other activities that are detrimental to world order and world peace. Mm -hmm. But this is kind of some of the stuff that not only did it, it cause some consternation in uh, the citizens of the world, like what are we doing here with NATO? It uh, was also within NATO. There was a lot of infighting. Uh, within the board of like what, you know, or the council, should I say, uh, what should we do? I don't think we should be doing this. We should be doing this. And since they have to hammer everything out and agree, even sometimes to disagree in order to do something, it was a little bit fractured on the interior. Yeah, big time, because a lot of people are like, what the heck does combating piracy in the Gulf of Aden have to do with protecting Europe from the USSR? Right. You know, the Cold War is over. What are we doing? Like, yeah, let's let's keep NATO together because who knows what, what's going to be needed, but do we need to engage in this adventurism? And then um, the, the Supreme Allied Commander position, which is the head of all NATO forces, that is like by nature in the treaty, I think, always an American. So the Americans always de facto, and also in, in a lot of different ways, really lead NATO. Um, but I, in the early 2000s, America squandered a lot of its credibility, a lot of its legitimacy in adventurism, like it, invading Iraq unprovoked, illegally. Um, which, by the way, NATO had nothing to do with because the the rest of the NATO nations or most of the other NATO nations were like, this is not right. We're not going anywhere near it, which is a, a mark in NATO's favor, if you ask me, um, that they saw like this is not this is not a just war. This is an invasion. Um, but that, that kind of stuff like really kind of made other member nations kind of question American leadership, whereas up to that point or a little before that point, it was just like America was leading the way, NATO was following, and it was all good. And then after that, things started to really kind of fracture and crack. Right. So this is sort of when Ukraine um, comes into the picture and that you don't have to be a NATO member to deal with NATO and to work with NATO and to reap a lot of the benefits of NATO. So they can partner with non-NATO countries. This started back in 91 with the dissolution of the Soviet Union. 
And the goal here is to basically to arm people, to train people, to ensure their democracy stays stable. Uh, and, you know, when that started happening, non-NATO countries got interested in this kind of partnership, uh, specifically Bosnia and Herzegovina, Georgia and Ukraine. So all of a sudden, these uh, in the early 90s, these other countries are knocking on the door saying, hey, we uh, don't want to be members because they, they can. You can join. Any European country can join NATO mm-hmm. as long as they, you know, do what's required, which we'll, you know, we'll get to that in a minute. But Ukraine has been <laughs> working with them through uh, what's called the Comprehensive Assistance Package. They've been receiving NATO support. Uh, and this is the kind of thing that, you know, Zelensky has – a lot of this quagmire that is happening now is Russia was afraid that they were officially going to join NATO because Zelensky approved the national security strategy, which it was almost like they were seriously kicking the tires on one another finally. Yeah, I think they. he said in September of 2020 that, that Ukraine's aim was to become a full member of NATO after being a partner for, you know, three decades, basically. Um or at least two full decades. Um, And even before that, the whole thing kind of kicked off. There was a summit in Bucharest uh, called the, well, the Bucharest Summit in 2008. And at that meeting, Georgia and Ukraine declared that it was their aim to become NATO members. And that seems to be, at least geopolitically speaking, what what kind of kicked the the tensions off big time and led to the 2014 invasion of Ukraine and Crimea. And then also led to the 2022 invasion that's going on right now. That's right. Uh, A little more nuts and bolts about NATO itself. They are, uh, like we said at the beginning, they're headquartered in Brussels. And uh, everything's done by consensus. And you mentioned the the, the military part of NATO. It's different. Uh, It's called the Military Committee. It's different than the actual North Atlantic Council. Like that's headed by the NATO Secretary General. And it's not a... It's not a figurehead position, but they don't, they're not in charge of like deciding anything. They're just sort of, uh, they're the secretary general. They head up the meetings. Uh, They have historically always been European and the head of the military committee has always been American, like you said, but Mm -hmm. there's nothing in the charter that says that has to be the case. Right. Uh, It's just always been that way. Uh, So they're there in Belgium and they're taking meetings every day and, 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 you know, answering the bat phone when it rings. And then you've got your military committee, and then you've got your what's the other one? The nuclear, the nuclear planning group, uh, and I guess the military is sort of the link between all of these to make sure you know the military strategy is sound. Yeah, because NATO likes to to publicize itself as a, both a military and a political organization, and it definitely is. Like if you partner with NATO as a as a partner country, or if you're a member, like you're you're. You're engaged with them politically, and they try to work things out diplomatically. Like, um, very famously, one of the first post-Cold War missions that NATO embarked on was in the Balkans when war broke out there um, in in the former Yugoslavian states, right? Back in the, the Wag the Dog era. You remember that? The Wag the Dog era, of course. Yeah. Okay. So, um, <laughs> do you remember in the movie Wag the Dog, like the sure. 
Okay, so so and they, that happened basically in real life. It was such a close resemblance to it that I remember a reporter asking Bill Clinton, like, "Have you ever seen the movie Wag the Dog?" Because it, it, like the the Balkan NATO mission started like right as the Monica Lewinsky, Lewinsky scandal was heating up, and he said, "It depends on what your definition of scene is." <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Man, we're going to be able to tee off on that guy forever, huh? Yeah, we'll just cut that great voice. So the um the, the so they NATO entered the the Balkans um and tried to like work everything out. It was a peacekeeping mission. Um but there was also obviously a lot of military operations is how they kept the peace. But even still there's an ongoing Balkan mission there and they're trying to sort out the still the long-standing hostility and promote democracy in these groups. So they are a political uh, organization, but they're also really at the end of the day, they're military. Just the in- yeah. incredible, unrivaled might of the military combined military powers of the thirty countries in- involved in NATO. It's it's you just can't really look at it too many other ways. It's a it's a huge military. That's right. Uh, and as far as the uh, the main committee goes, uh, or the main council, it is headed. Uh, each country has their own ambassador. Uh, I think we got a new one in 2021. Is that right? Mm-hmm. What's her name? Uh, Julianne Smith. Julianne I Smith. I want to say Julianne Moore. <laughs> yep. Just because, boy, she would be great at that. Sure. <laughs> we need more actors in roles like this, right? <laughs> For sure. That's. I mean, if anything, actors, everything. <laughs> actors have proven to be amazing politicians over the years. That's right. An actor would never like get up on stage at the Oscars and hit somebody. Man, I'm so disturbed and and just unsettled by that. It's very surreal. I was actually not going to watch the Oscars this year because I'm kind of over it. But for some reason, I watched. So I saw it live. Wow, that must have been surreal. Just like I think, like everyone else, thought it was a bit at first, and then when the uh, here in the United States, the audio cut out, and it was clear from Chris Rock when he came back, I was like, oh boy, did that? (laughs) Did I just see what I think I saw? Yeah, that's crazy. I, I was telling you, me, I couldn't find a clip with it, but I wanted to see, like, or hear the ham-fisted way the the conductor and the orchestra, like, c- tried to play everything <laughs> back out, you know, from the weird, uncomfortable, awkward silence that just gripped the entire auditorium. I want to know how they got out of that awkward silence, because I'll bet it was equally awkward. Well, they didn't. He had to give out, I don't know, he was right in the middle of giving out an award. Oh, so he had to continue on after that? Yes, dude. It was <laughs> that joke was before he even started giving out the award, you know, when they go up there and just make jokes. Man. So th- I mean that was one of the saddest things is that he gave out the award for best documentary to Questlove for his awesome documentary Summer of Soul. Oh man. And so like all of a sudden like his moment is overshadowed. It man. was oh jeez, what a train wreck. Yeah. Anyway, off topic. Hey, that's something we do sometimes, folks. <laughs> We take tangents. Uh, should we talk a little bit about the funding of NATO? I don't think you can get around that, Chuck. Just try. Oh, wait, yeah. no. Let's let's talk about one other thing. So where we are today before we hit funding, okay? Okay. So we're at what um, what uh, Supreme Commander, Supreme Allied Commander James Stavridis. And if you can't tell, I like saying Supreme Allied Commander. You're not paying close enough attention. Mm-hmm. But um, what he calls NATO 3.0. Right. Because he's, he's into cybersecurity, I guess. 
And NATO 3.0 is where we are today. And like I was saying, you know, the, the there's been a lot of talk and movement toward NATO expansion. And some Russia experts are saying, you know, that's one of the main drivers or one of the big drivers for these invasions of Ukraine that have taken place over the last, like, less than 10 years. Um, but that aggression in response to NATO expansion, or mm-hmm. depending on how you take it, just straight up Russian aggression. Like, it doesn't matter if NATO's talking about bringing Ukraine on and helping it become a democracy. Yeah. You don't go waste a, a city. You don't waste a country. You don't gun down civilians. You don't bomb a theater where you know hundreds of civilians are hiding out. Yeah. You don't do that. There's no justification for it. And, you know, damn you to hell for doing it, whoever you are. So that kind of aggression has actually now, like we were saying at the beginning of the episode, changed the world order so dramatically that um, it's revived NATO. Like all of that bickering, all of the inner ally, you know, dissent and um, and troubles and like what's our purpose, all of that has been just pushed right to the back. And all of a sudden, Europe and America are friends again. Europe is friends with one another again. Um, and NATO is probably stronger than it has been in the last 30 years, thanks to, ironically, Vladimir Putin. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, I, I have, I've read a lot about this, and that doesn't seem to be like a controversial hot take. No. Um, it, it seems to be fairly indisputable that NATO is as— um, as allied and as and as together it's it's been in decades. And it couldn't have come at a better time because, you know, I don't know if you noticed or not, but democracy itself has been kind of under assault. And people were wondering, is the U.S. up to the task of taking right. that on? Is the, Europe up to the task of taking that on? And one of the main tenets of NATO is promoting democracy, not just around the world, but within its own countries, its own yeah. member nations. Yeah. Since 1949, a lot of countries have had some kind of weird weird times that it's gone through where NATO has had to basically call those countries out. I think Turkey most recently where it said, hey, you're a NATO member. We expect you to uphold democracy and democratic values, right? Yes. So it it promotes it not just around the world, but among member nations. And that's a huge important point. And so this strengthening of of NATO and thus the strengthening of, of belief and and placing value in the idea of democracy and a willingness to defend democracy could not have come at a more vital time. So in that sense, thank you, Vladimir Putin. It's just a a shame and very sad that that had to come at the expense of the people of Ukraine. Agreed. Uh, So maybe we should take the break now and we'll come back and talk about that funding, previously mentioned funding, right after this. Stuff you should know. All right, game off. Let's pause here to talk more about Monopoly Go. Because in Monopoly Go, you can team up with your friends for time tournaments where you work together to build up each other's boards. It's very nice. That's right. And the more you win together, the more awesome prizes you unlock. And there's so much to get. I'm talking about unique stickers that you can trade with friends to complete albums for big prizes, cool new playing pieces to travel the boards with, or hilarious emojis for taunting friends when you smash their buildings or heist their vaults. Plus, Monopoly Go feels new and exciting every day with constantly changing tournaments and challenges, like digging for treasure or a robot pachinko machine. And there's always new timed events that help you win big, like massive multipliers for everything you win or rent frenzies. 
That's right, there's always something fun to discover in Monopoly Go. So get off the bench and go download it now for free on Google Play or the App Store. Game on! Today's episode is brought to you by Altoids because, let's face it, unraveling the mysteries of the universe is tough work. But with Altoids, your breath will be stronger than a black hole's gravitational pull, more intense than an alien abduction, and more reliable than your phone's battery during a podcast marathon. When it comes to needing intense freshness, Altoids have you covered. Altoids are stronger than your favorite conspiracy theory, more intense than the latest true crime docuseries, and more reliable than a Bigfoot sighting. They're not just mints, they're curiously strong mints. Find Altoids in the checkout aisle. Grab your tin today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Hey, everybody. Did you know that Boricua is the name for someone from Puerto Rico? But it's more than just a name. It's a way of life and representation of the vibrant spirit of the island. Yeah, that's right. It's an island that's filled with adventure around every corner and natural treasures waiting to be explored, like El Yunque, the only tropical rainforest in the entire United States. That's right. Or you can get swept away by natural beauty and come away with unique stories that could only be experienced in Puerto Rico that remind you of why you travel in the first place. Visits end, but stories last forever. You don't become a part of the island. It becomes a part of you. That's right. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Learning stuff with Joshua and Charles. Stuff you All right. So the aforementioned NATO funding, and by the way, thanks to our former colleagues at HowStuffWorks.com yeah. for the, uh, the the original NATO article that uh, kind of started us down this, this road. But uh, there's a lot of misconceptions about NATO funding and how that works. Uh, the official guidelines say that member nations are expected to commit a minimum of 2% of their GDP, their gross domestic product, uh, to spending on uh, defense. But it's there's not a... Because, uh, like I said, NATO, it's not loosey-goosey, but it's not like someone uh, checks the books every year and then goes to Luxembourg and says, hi, you actually spent this and this is what you owe. So if you could just get the checkbook out right, uh, and make that up right now, that would be fantastic. There's That's no penalty. Not, no, there's no penalty. That's not how it works. Uh, and I think in 2014, um, only three members – spent 2% of their GDP or, or more on defense. I think the U.S. spends about three and a half. Is that the most recent number? Uh, yeah, as of 2021. Right. And um, 
Everyone in NATO has basically said, though, all right, we, we get it. We'll we'll try and up our spending, and we'd, we would like to meet that goal in the next uh, couple of years here by 2024. Yeah, because, uh, again, as NATO was like, what are we doing here again? That really led to a big decline in military spending and that huge increase in, in military spending among European nations of recent years has largely been because of Vladimir Putin rattling his saber and then actually following through on it. But one one thing, Chuck, that I think is really like important that's a misconception is we don't contribute three and a half percent of our GDP to NATO. No. A lot of people think that. The requirement is that you as a nation spend two percent on your own nation's defense. Yes. And then because you're all tethered together through this invisible alliance of NATO, NATO combined has access to those thirty member nations right. defense. All of what what those defense budgets buy, which when you add it all up, is extremely substantial, both in amount spent, but also in like like what you get for that kind of money. Yeah, I, I do think that some people might think that everyone chips in this money to NATO and that there are NATO forces and stuff like that. That's not how it works. NATO's we do contribute to run NATO with their you know with their own budget, but that's about two billion bucks to, and that's just day to day operations and. Uh, you know, logistics and operations and mm-hmm. keeping the headquarters nice and tidy. Sure. And clean. Someone's got to clean those bathrooms. Right. Uh, that's not a lot of money, though. But that 2%, right, is spending on your own military. Uh, it's actually apportioned out uh, in the original, uh, I guess, charter. Is that what you say? Or the original agreement. The treaty. Um, the what? The treaty. Yeah, the treaty. <laughs> <laughs> it's right there. That's what I'm saying. It's so boring. It it's is. Hard to so, even I keep pay wanting to find to a better name. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the uh, apportionment for the United States, our cost share is 22% here in the U.S. Uh, if you look at our GDP, it's about the same size as the other 27 nations put together. So it's not based on like how big of an economy you have because then we would be – uh, our apportionment would be about 50%, but it's 22, Yeah, that and that, sense. Right, it does make sense. That's just for chipping into that $2 billion that keeps NATO opera- operational ready at all times. That's right, not a, a drop in the spending. bucket for us. It is. Um, and so the U.S. Is, is, you know, far in a way, we, we spend on defense, um, I think, almost three times more than the other NATO nations combined. So we spent about $811 billion in 2021, and the rest of the NATO allies spent a combined $363 billion mm-hmm. from, I think, the UK's $59.2 billion down to North Macedonia's $108 million. But if you look at proportion of GDP, mm-hmm. there are plenty of nations who go beyond that 2%. Like Greece actually spends more of its GDP by percentage on defense than the United States does. We spend 3.5%. Greece spends 3.82%. Croatia is 2.79%. The UK is 2.29%. Poland is 2.1%. So plenty of nations have started topping that, but that is a fairly new thing. Yeah, like you just can't look at NATO as a a 30-item balance sheet uh, and say, well, this is a bad deal because I'm looking at 30 different numbers of what these countries contribute. It's it's much it's much more complex than that. You have to look at it relative to the size of the nation and their economies and overall spending. It's, it's frustrating. 
That's For all sure. I'm gonna say. No, it, it really is. But when you add it all up, what you have is a combined in 2021, $1.174 trillion among the NATO allies spent in total on defense. Spending. Yeah. That comes to three and a half million troops who are committed to NATO's alliance. Three and a half million troops. Yeah. And just that dollar amount alone, by the way, $1.174 trillion, that's basically more than the rest of the world combined. And just the NATO allies, the non-U.S. NATO allies spending is more than China and Russia's defense budgets combined. So yeah. it's, it's substantial, not to mention that three NATO members are nuclear powers allied together. Like, so when you put all that stuff together, the idea of NATO, like, being this stabilizing force in global security makes total sense. It doesn't even have to do anything. It just has to exist to keep things stable and to promote democracy around the world and to reach out to, like, formerly non-democratic countries and say, hey, here's how you become democratic. Here are the values. Let's see if you can stick to them if you want to become a NATO member just from this kind of defense spending. It's kind of ingenious in a way. Well, it is, and I think it's, I think it's part of just modern society uh, to get complacent about. Uh, our memories are so short these days, I think, mm-hmm. and there's so little um, acknowledgement and realization of like the history of the world, and not just like the last thirty to fifty years. You know, there's been peace in Europe for about seventy years now, and that's all anyone you know. That's all most people remember unless you're, like, in your 80s probably. You know what I'm saying? Right. That was like, That's how it's been. Previous to that, there were a couple of millennia of, of war <laughs> in Europe. Mm-hmm. And, like, the fact that NATO, and I think, I mean, not, not singly NATO, but I think NATO has been the biggest driver of ensuring that peace over the last seven decades. Yeah, I mean, you're not the only one. Like, pretty much global security experts will will say, yes, NATO has kept the, the world order stable for that long, basically as long as it's been around. I think it's just sad that I think the the short-term memory of how kind of people are today, Yeah, it's like, yeah, you know, the Cold War is over. Do we really need this stuff anymore? Yeah, but I mean, it's tough to blame people because, again, it's like the world you grew up in. It's the world yeah. you were born in. And then just I the relief it. of like, wow, democracy actually won. We actually did right. it. We can just relax for once for a little while. It was yeah. funny, Chuck. I was thinking today, there are plenty of people who I'm sure listen to our podcast who have never lived under the threat of nuclear attack and oh, are sure. now for the first time in their life. Yeah. And I've settled back into it like it's an old smoking jacket and some comfy slippers, you know? Right. Like, this is just like <laughs> normal, normal stuff to me. And I realized, like, I wonder how many people out there are super anxious about yeah. that idea of dying in a nuclear attack. And um, all I can say is you get used to it. You do. You get used to, to uh, doing drills in school where you would go get <laughs> under your desk duck or and in cover. the hallway, duck and cover, because that would do a lot in the case of a nuclear bomb. Right. Or, uh, you know, watching Matthew Broderick uh, bring <laughs> us back from the brink of nuclear yeah. war. What a hero. What a movie. So, Chuck, we should probably, before we finish, we should probably talk about the future of Ukraine and NATO because— As we've said a few times here, you know, Ukraine making moves toward becoming a NATO member and being like in deep cahoots with NATO um, 
has has created this situation, at least in part, where Russia's feeling like g- emboldened about invading Ukraine to either put a stop to that or whatever Putin's saying he's doing. So um, if you've been paying attention to the news, uh, Volodymyr Zelensky has been saying like, okay, we're, st- we're, we're willing to maybe start talking about neutrality now. Yeah. And what he's talking about has almost everything to do with NATO, right? Yeah, I mean... Th- Neutrality isn't just a uh, isn't just something like just say oh you know we're we're neutral we just don't feel that strongly about anything over here <laughs> right <laughs> that's not what it means neutrality in terms of the world order uh, I, I believe it means you don't get involved in, in a third country's problem it doesn't mean you're like a nihilist Lebowski <laughs> what was that that was my flea okay. <laughs> on the lingonberry pancakes. Uh, yeah, n- neutrality means you won't get involved in a third country's uh, issues. Isn't that right? Totally, yeah, no matter what. Like, so you wouldn't join NATO, you wouldn't send arms, you wouldn't do anything like that. Which, by the way, I mean, since we said Ukraine is a partner country, they're just getting a steady flow of arms through Poland from NATO um, allies, and it's been super effective from what I saw because Russia is a tank-based military, and the the anti-tank weaponry that we've been sending Ukraine and Ukraine's been using to great effect has actually stalled, stalled 100,000 Russian troops from taking over Ukraine, which everybody thought was going to happen in a matter of days. Now they're finally backing off of Kiev. It's, it's just insane to even say it out loud. But... Um, under neutrality, there would be no arms going from NATO to Ukraine. Yeah. Um, Russia would not be allowed to invade Ukraine. Ukraine would be what Finland is. Finland has a huge amount of border that it shares with um, Russia. And it serves as a buffer state between Europe and Russia. It's not allied with Russia. It's not allied with Europe. Finland's just its own jam. The proposal on the table now is that Ukraine become like the southern Finland. It'll be a neutral state. It'll be its own sovereign democracy. It can do whatever it wants, but it can't join NATO. And it's not certainly going not going to be allied with Russia, not after this invasion or ever because of its neutrality status. Yeah, and I think the idea at first is that people thought, and it may have been the case, that Russia wanted to absorb Ukraine as part of building back a, a, maybe not a new Soviet Union, but just expanding Russia. Mm -hmm. And that may have been the case, I don't know, but I think the last few weeks, it's become clear that that's not possible, and that like occupation of Ukraine isn't possible, like long-term occupation. Yeah. So it seems like neutrality may be the only way forward here. For both I mean, sides. yeah, definitely. I guess, I mean, yeah, it's you like, I can't imagine how difficult occupying Ukraine would be for Russia, like over any period of time. I don't think sure. they have enough troops to do that. No. And I mean, the Ukrainians certainly have the will to resist for as long as they need to to get Russia out of there. So, yeah, it's, um, I, I feel like now that seems to be, I think we read an Al Jazeera article on it, right? Yeah, it was super interesting. They, they talked a lot about how. You know, not all pro-Russian sentiment in Ukraine has been dissolved because there there was some, mm-hmm. obviously, but uh, this has done a lot of damage to that. Oh, yeah. I'm sure anybody who was on the fence before is like, okay, I'm not pro-Russian or even considering pro-Russian anymore. But 
the, the, it does seem to be that, and this is, you know, obviously up to Ukraine, but if Zelensky is making gestures and overtures saying we're, we're willing to talk about neutrality, um, it seems like that could be their decision. But, um, it, it, for, again, global security experts, at least ones that were quoted in Al Jazeera, are, are saying, like, this is actually probably the most viable and quick short-term or, or like, at-hand solution to ending this invasion and actually stabilizing things again for a while. That's right. The, uh, that article, by the way, is Ukraine, colon. colon. What does neutrality mean and could it lead to peace from Thomas O. Falk? Uh, and that was just from a few weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, and in addition to How Stuff Works in the Al Jazeera article, we got stuff from Brookings, uh, the Brennan Center, Time, uh, BBC, and a bunch of other ones, too. And so, Sesame Street. This is definitely one of the <laughs> you is for up yours. Um, so, and this is one of those definite moments in in history that it's worth paying attention to. So if this this uh, episode struck your fancy at all, go go read up on it because it's there's a lot of really interesting and important stuff to read. Literally, the world has changed in the last couple months more than yeah. it has in years since 2001. I would say since 2001. Uh, you got anything else? I don't think so. Okay. Well, uh, if you want to know more about NATO, you can go check that out online. And since I said check that out online, everybody, it's time for listener mail. Uh, that's right. I thought, why not? Let's read one from a brand new listener. Oh, nice. Uh, this is the first episode they listened to, and I have foretold the future with this email. Wowee. Uh, just kidding. Hey, guys, last week, though... <laughs> I found out about your podcast, uh, and I'm loving it. I've become tired of the radio, so I decided to start looking at podcasts for my work commute, and yours caught my eye as it looked interesting without being too heavy, educational, but not as depressing as the news. Perfect. Nice. Okay. I was waiting for a, a response. Well, I mean, yeah. Nice was my response. Okay. I like it. I'll take it. <laughs> You two make a great pair and work off each other seamlessly. Mm -hmm. uh, when I listen, I cannot help but think of you two as a mashup of Burton Ernie and SNL's The Delicious Dish with okay. Anna Gastar and Molly Shannon. So I will respond to that part because um, that is probably the greatest description anyone's ever come up with for <laughs> I'll take us. Take it. Sweaty yeah. balls. Uh, I mean that uh, in the most complimentary way, by the way. I love it and it works so darn well, obviously, since the show is going strong for years now. Oh, thank you for noticing. Mm -hmm. uh, I just wanted to reach out and say thanks for saving me from boring radio and crazy news and helping my mind grow uh, while being entertained. And that is from Samantha Burns Maloney. Well, thanks, Samantha. Uh, we really appreciate that. That was a great email. Seriously, the best descriptor I've ever heard. I like for it. For sure. Yeah. Uh, if you're new to the podcast or you're a long timer or you email every week, we want to hear from you. You can send us an email to stuffpodcast at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hey, if you haven't heard of Visible, well, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. Use promo code STUFF. 
20 to receive $20 off your first month for listening to this podcast. Switch now at Visible.com. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. Today's episode is brought to you by Altoids because, let's face it, unraveling the mysteries of the universe is tough work. But with Altoids, your breath will be stronger than a black hole's gravitational pull, more intense than an alien abduction, and more reliable than your phone's battery during a podcast marathon. When it comes to needing intense freshness, Altoids have you covered. Altoids are stronger than your favorite conspiracy theory, more intense than the latest true crime docuseries, and more reliable than a Bigfoot sighting. They're not just mints, they're curiously strong mints. Find Altoids in the checkout aisle. Grab your tin today. Childproofing people's homes is hard, but Duracell is making it just a bit simpler. Not only are they committed to educating parents, caregivers, and medical professionals about the importance of battery safety, they make the only lithium coin batteries with a non-toxic bitter coating to help discourage children from swallowing them. Duracell even features child-secure packaging designed to avoid accidental opening. Learn more at Duracell.com slash power safely. Available on 2032, 2025, and 2016 sizes. Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life, immerse myself in natural beauty, and have unique experiences. But you don't have to leave the U.S. to experience tropical rainforests and islands filled with adventure, warm culture, and national treasures. Visit Puerto Rico, an island with a vibrant spirit that will sweep you away. Because when you visit, you don't become part of the island, it becomes part of you. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. Puerto Rico, where visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. 